0: Hey everyone, I want to tell you about a article I was reading in this book here, the Boston Consulting Group on Strategy. I heard about it from Richard Koch on the uh, Tim Ferriss Show podcast a a few weeks ago and I I bought it. It's it's an older book. It was published in probably the late 90s, early 2000s, but it, actually this is 2006, but a lot of the articles are from even like the 70s and, and back then. It's a really interesting book. The Boston Consulting Group's a, a strategy firm, kind of like McKinsey or, or Bain. And one of the articles I was reading last night, it's interesting how it ties into Amazon and all of their success. and almost predicts it from 1999. This article, written in 1999, at the time Amazon had been public for two years. And actually, it, it had had a lot of success Already to that point, its, its stock had appreciated from, it opened around, I think, $18 to, it was $65 after even a couple of splits in 99. But then you think about its meteoric rise since then. I just got a little st- uh, statistic. Uh, adjusted for splits, its stock would be worth $3,204.40. Today and you know so back in '99 when they wrote this article uh, you know it's about uh, again it was about $65 I think so you can you can just uh, imagine that return is actually over 6,000 percent so huge return since then but what back in '99 would have led people to think that Amazon could ever do as well as it's done now. And it helps to go back to articles that were written then and try and figure it out because a lot of the articles I've read from then would even say, you know, Amazon's way overvalued, and this goes to what I mentioned uh, on uh, on a talk I did in my podcast earlier this week about all these electric and uh hydrogen car companies why are they so wildly valued right now well you're betting on strategy that the company is is doing and whether that strategy is going to work or not and there's a lot of parallels to this in a lot of areas so for instance bitcoin what are you betting on it's not cryptocurrency it's not a current it is cryptocurrency it's not a currency yet you can't use it to buy a pizza but you're betting on it becoming a currency in the future. So, what were they betting on Amazon to become back in 99? And this article is written by Philip B. Evans and Thomas S. Worcester back in 99. It was called Thinking Strategically About E-Commerce. So, back in 99, there were a lot of, this, this was the first generation of, of e-commerce stores. There are a ton of things going on. And, you know, very few of them exist till today. Google wasn't around then. Facebook wasn't around then. Twitter wasn't around then. None of none of that stuff. And no one at that point had really figured out the e-commerce game. And, you know, you think about success stories that lasted past the dot-com crash, which happened in about 2001. Not very many of them. Um, You know, Amazon's really one of the few. Um, I think I... Gary Vaynerchuk from Wine Library is, is oddly enough, another one uh, who, was, who was doing things in that time. And you can imagine, I think everyone knows what a visionary he was. But why was Amazon so successful? So back in this article, I'm going to read a lot of this word for word, so bear with me because I think it's important. They're talking about strategy for e-commerce. And they talk about competing on reach. Reach is about access and connection. How many customers a business can access and how many products it can offer? Before e-commerce, retail superstores competed brilliantly on reach by offering a broad selection and convenient locations. But they were limited by the economics of things. The largest physical bookstore in the United States carries about 250,000 titles. Amazon.com, by contrast, offers 4.5 million and is located on some 25 million computer screens. So Here's strategically what the e-commerce game ultimately was all about. It was reducing your physical stores. And and why is that an advantage? Well, obviously, if you can reduce your stores, you can not pay rent. You can also not have inventory. So what was that? The largest physical bookstore in the United States carries about 250,000 titles. Well, imagine how much each of those costs the bookstore on average. If they sell for on average 20, say they're... Uh, the, the bookstore buys them for 10 or 5, whatever you want, multiply that by 250,000. That is a ton, a ton of inventory that the bookstore carries. It's an asset, but it's also a drain because it's not cash and you can't convert it to cash until you cycle through all those books. And, and in addition, that bookstore, whichever one was the biggest bookstore back then, I assume it was Barnes and Noble's or Porter's, but who knows what it was back then. Think of the rent it would cost to carry 250,000 book titles. And that's the largest store, the bookstore in America at the time. Now you go to Amazon, which has no physical locations, especially at that time. I think it has some now and distribution centers, right? You could obviously call physical locations. But back then, it was basically taking... Essentially, orders you create a website. You'd want the E Myth, or you'd want the The Art of War, or whatever book you wanted. You'd order it, and then a seller somewhere would ship it to you. So, no stores, no inventory. Well, that what they're saying. The reach is astronomical because you go beyond one physical location. That that one store that they're talking about that had the two hundred fifty thousand type. Uh, titles. It. And again, I wish I knew what store what that was, but it say it was in New York City. Well, even in New York City at that time, what did it have? 25 million people? 20 million people? I don't know. Amazon can theoretically get books to the entire world. And it can certainly get books to a billion people or a couple billion people, those who would have internet access and the wherewithal to buy a book. So that's what they're talking about with regards to reach. And you can see where that's going. In 99, Amazon didn't really have that yet, but they could foresee that if they were able to create a site where everyone would go to buy their books, their reach was astronomical. So back then, when the share price was 65 a lot of people were saying it was way overvalued, and they would back then point to, well, it's valued more than bookstores, and they don't even have any books. Well, that's true, but people were buying the future and betting that Amazon could solve all the problems of becoming the biggest bookstore in the world. Let's go on. Unconstrained by physical limitation, reach explodes. So do traditional industry boundaries. If consumers value comprehensive search, then the smart navigator moves from a comprehensive book domain to a comprehensive consumer domain. So what does that mean? In 99, all Amazon really Served at that point, especially when it just had its iPO so that was ninety seven and, and prior to that, all they really did was books, so you would go on to order books. you think Amazon now you go on to order everything and even food right through through their affiliation with whole foods so what they're talking about here, and they were predicting in ninety nine totally correctly, was reach explodes beyond what you're currently serving to future things. If you don't constrain yourself to physical limitations and that's the power of the web. So what Amazon, if Amazon was just a bookstore, say they want to get into uh, personal toiletries, for instance. Well, they would have to buy more space or rent more space, buy inventory, and then go on and sell that. And the hard thing about breaking into other, other um Other areas than you currently sell even if they're fairly similar they're all consumer goods is that you don't have the reputation you don't have the brand and it's difficult for people to wrap their heads around going ahead and using you to purchase those goods but what Amazon had they don't have to rent space and they don't have to carry inventory so what's that do they can start selling toiletries they can start selling uh, you know um, what else? Sporting goods, toys, whatever. And because they don't have to sell inventory, they don't because they don't have an inventory and they don't have to get or rent more physical space. They can do it so cheaply that even if it takes a while to catch on, you're not spending or investing any money to get it to catch on. So you can invest all your money in marketing. You can invest all your money in Google, Google ads, which is a lot of what they did back then. And you can just get your product, out there and you have such a huge competitive advantage. Let's go on. Although Amazon.com has unprecedented unprecedented reach as an online bookseller, so this time they are competing with your Barnes and Nobles and your Borders, and obviously they've way taken over them, and they they were doing that as it applied to books back then, but it was essentially books only back then. So although Amazon.com has unprecedented reach as an online bookseller, its true business is navigation. So that's knowing your true business. People, it's often said that McDonald's, their true business is not making great hamburgers because, I mean, if anyone were to tell me that McDonald's makes the best hamburger out there, I'd say you're crazy. And, but what their true business is, is, is real estate and getting locations and essentially getting franchisees to come in there and paying a percentage of their revenue to the McDonald's Center. So it's it's, it's real estate and getting extended real estate space. Amazon is a navigation tool and think about it. Back then, Amazon could get people to get the book they wanted online because so it was easier than going to the bookstore, and you had a broader selection. But what they really became over time was a navigation tool. Where if you wanted to learn about a book and say, "Do I even want to read this book?" Think about what you do now. You go onto you go onto Amazon and you read the reviews of the book. If I want to learn about um, the French Revolution. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to type the French Revolution into Amazon and I'm going to figure out what's the best book from the comments. I'm going to get the ratings, I'm going to read the comments and I'm going to see what's going to appeal to me as as someone who wants to learn about the French Revolution. And that's really what they became as a navigation tool. YouTube's a navigation tool. You're you're navigating for certain videos. Obviously Google is a navigation tool. You're 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 getting all over the web. So it's interesting that all of these successful web companies, well, not all, but uh, I mean, Google, Amazon, and, and uh, YouTube, which is owned by Google are essentially navigation tools. That's an interesting, that's an interesting insight, especially back in 1999, because Amazon was not, at that point, I don't think, a navigation tool. You, they, I, I bet they had started doing the reviews and stuff like that, but you didn't necessarily go there to learn about the book. You would do an, a, a just a general online search. And again, Google wasn't there, so I'm trying to think what you would even used back then. It was probably Yahoo or something. Um, so very interesting. Next, it it, Amazon, is rapidly broadening its offering to include movies, and geez, now with prime online movies, and that's what enables it to compete and has always enabled it to compete with Netflix, drugs, toys, it basically took Toys R Us out of business and, and perhaps more, that's interesting that they say perhaps, because back then, you know, the idea that you would go from books to movies, drugs, toys, that was kind of seen as the limitation and perhaps more, now it does everything. Okay, and here's here's the point. This this is going to apply to a bunch of different companies. This strategy may help explain why stock market investors give Amazon.com a higher valuation than the entire book, retailing, and publishing industries put together. So it's interesting when you ask, why are certain companies so highly valued? Why do a lot of tech companies, the traditional P.E. ratio that we think of, a price-to-earnings ratio, It doesn't apply. Like if you're investing in, I'm picking things, Exxon or you're investing in um, uh, GE, you're always going to want to know what its price to earnings ratio is. At the price you're paying, what types of earnings are you getting? And you're also going to think about things like dividends and stuff like that. With What what tech companies have really shifted the focus on is you're betting on what they're going to become. And you better be betting on a certain strategy. And what these guys kind of caught onto and I hope they invested in Amazon back then or else they're kicking themselves for getting it right and not getting rich off it. They're seeing that it's a navigation company and that's what it's becoming. So taking it forward to my comments on uh, electric cars, what you're really doing with electric cars is you are betting on what they're going to become. And the problem with electric cars and the problem with uh, the hydrogen cars that Nikola was was doing is they don't necessarily have distribution centers. So, you know, when you looked at Amazon back then, they didn't really have the navigation tool yet. They were building it with the reviews and that slowly became, you know, it, a navigation system and now everyone uses it. I guess the question with these, you know, electric and hydrogen powered cars is what's going to be the distribution system because right now we have gas distribution systems all across the country how are they going to re, uh, replicate that for electric which you are seeing more and more because mainly because of tesla um, and but other ones like hydrogen how is that going to happen and that's going to be the interesting challenge these companies are going to have to solve and for me like with hydrogen you know electric that's the thing i would want to see before i put too much stock in any any one company um you know how are they going to solve these problems so but it just shows with 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 any companies especially in the tech industry but a lot a lot of other industries when you see these high flying valuations for companies that don't have revenue or certainly don't have profits i don't think amazon had a profit back then you're really betting on the future and you're betting on their strategy so you know if you're gonna do that and I, I personally don't invest in specific companies and, and make bets on that um, I, it, it's not my investing style but if you were to do that successfully you had better be able to figure out what their strategy is and get get clues on where you're where you think they're going and understand if their ultimate strategy, you think is going to work and be successful. And then also understand what are they really, what are they really investing in? Um, Nicola, the, the hydrogen truck company that has that really come under scrutiny, scrutiny because of a short seller report. You know, if they just built a hydrogen engine, nothing really would have happened because there's no, there's no hydrogen refueling stations or, or whatever you do with hydrogen engines they would have had to build a distribution center too, which is what they're trying to build. So you're betting on their strategy of they're owning the distribution center and the trucks themselves. Is that a good strategy? I don't know. But that's what you're betting on, and that's why it's so much more expensive, and it doesn't bear any resemblance to its revenue, which I think was none, is none, and it certainly doesn't have any profits. So when you're betting on these high-flying stocks, that's what investors are thinking about, that's what they're looking for, and that applied back in 1999 with Amazon, and that applies, you know, nowadays most recently with these electric car companies. So hope that helps thinking about in terms of of strategy. Um, hope you got something out of this.